on this episode of Optimal Health Uncovered. Most people have great goals that they just have really bad timelines to achieve them. And it's not that the goal is unrealistic, it's how they're gonna get it or the timeline in which they want to get it. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Optimal Health Uncovered. We're very excited about today's episode. We're here with Mike Ranfone. Mike, thanks for coming on again. Yeah, of course, man. Great, great to be back. For those that don't know Mike, Mike is uh, kind of a fitness guru. He's been in the strength and conditioning space for some time now. He's been on the podcast before, uh, lectures and teaches. I've taken you know courses at RTS and I've always found our conversations really meaningful. So really appreciate your time here, Mike. Briefly, I'll read your bio for those that may be you know, first time introduction to you. So you're founder of uh, RTS, Renfo and Training Systems. Uh, you began your coaching career at Yale University where you worked with young men, women, uh, all collegiate athletes. Um, and in 2010, you opened uh, RTS right in Hamden, Connecticut. Uh, I know you went to Hamden Hall, correct? Yes. Yep. So, and were you born and raised in Hamden? Am I right in saying that? Uh, actually, I was born and raised in Brantford, but went to Hamden Hall in fifth grade and graduated from there. Gotcha. So you don't associate with Brantford is what we're saying. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. So Hamden kind of through and through at this point, have your, a great business there since 2010, uh, which is impressive, right? Celebrating, you know, 22 years this year, which is awesome. Uh, and you guys do a lot of great stuff. So I'll let you kind of speak to that. I, I'm sure it'll come out throughout the podcast. So really, again, appreciate having you on, Mike. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always nice to talk shop. So yeah. I always I appreciate these opportunities. So I think the, this is going to be really, we talked about it right before we kind of started recording, really natural, organic. We're entering the new year. We're in the new year. Uh, this is a time where everyone kind of tries to get their stuff together, so to speak, when it comes to fitness goals, health, wellness goals, strength, conditioning, or otherwise. Uh, and I was just reading a stat before we came on US News and World Reports that I think 80% of New Year's resolutions fail by mid-February. And I'm sure my career definitely speaks to that. Yours probably speaks to that as well. So I think hopefully we can have some meaningful conversation around, you know, accountability and setting individuals up for success, not just around, you know, the, a resolution or a new year, but kind of a a lifelong kind of fitness goal and maybe a path that, that matches what uh, each individual is going forward. What's your experience been this time of year? What do you typically see in your space or just in the, the fitness space in general? Well, I mean, traditionally, obviously, the the New Year's resolutions typically brings a lot of business in. um, And that's usually people that have decided that they've had enough and that they need a change or people that have kind of lost some momentum and had this like renewed commitment to their health and well-being. And I think no matter how they're coming in or why they're coming in, there's always really good intentions. But I, I think most expectations are also flawed. Um, not because of the goal itself, but because of the timeline or or other constraints that they place on themselves that adds to the pressure of actually performing and getting to what they want. Um, And it's funny because this year we decided to do um, a special internal challenge um, for the members. And it's, it's really about obviously some health and physiological changes, but more about mindset and accountability. Uh, And I think if we can kind of get to those points, we are going to have those external uh, performance measures be realized um, or at least understand the ingredients and what drives success rather than just looking at outcome goals. Right. And I think that's another big piece to the puzzle that many people don't talk about. They just focus on external or outcome based process or uh, outcomes rather than like what the leading indicators of that success is. 
Yeah, I think that's an outstanding point. And I think whether it be physical therapy on, on the, the medical side or otherwise, like goal setting is important, um, but goals without action plans don't really mean much. So coming into your system, like what, what would the expectation be and kind of what led to that shift that you just talked about in terms of accountability, kind of starting there versus starting with like KPIs and outcomes? Well, I mean, I, I, to be quite honest, it was just taking a look at where we failed as service providers. Like what, what happens when you get someone, you know, to a, a good point in six weeks and then they decide not to come back or, you know, something happens in their life and they decide it's just not worth it or they don't value it the same way. Um, or they're maybe getting frustrated because there's going to be some kind of diminishing return that they feel discouraged by. So again, trying to get in front of this, trying to be more proactive with like what drives success. Let's look at more indicators of performance uh, and the real long-term vision of what they want to accomplish rather than the short term. So extending the time horizon of their goals, um, because I, I think that's the big crux here is that most people have great goals that they just have really bad timelines to achieve them. And it's not that the goal is unrealistic. It's how they're going to get it or the timeline in which they want to get it. Right. Which then also puts this psychological burden on them of am I successful or failing by my own right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, know, you have the background and, and experience in physiology that a lot of people don't have. So if someone's coming in and I know weight loss is, is probably one of the most common things that individuals come in this time of year. Uh, if, if weight loss is the goal, how do you layer through that um, from kind of start to finish? If, if I'm your client, I'm like, hey, Mike, I want to lose, you know, 10 pounds over eight yeah, whatever, eight to 12 weeks. Is that realistic? And where would, where would you kind of delay or that? Yeah. So that, I mean, that's a, obviously a very common scenario that we have to to deal with and to reconcile that um, I would, I would say, okay, so we want to lose, let's say 10 pounds in two months. Okay. So just over about a pound a week. Um, would you be unfulfilled if you lost eight pounds in those eight weeks? Because obviously you're still gaining ground, right? right? You're still on track to hit those 10 pounds. It might just take you an extra couple of weeks. So again, just like reframing what they want in a more reasonable timeline. So A, we don't have to force them or push an agenda that's that's already predetermined by them, but for also giving them some bandwidth and some wiggle room in case life happens. You know, like you might be killing it and then hell your, your kid gets sick and he misses a week of school and you have to, you can't go to the gym. Right. You know what I mean? So planning for some of these, these things that might, uh, might pop up and deter them doesn't mean they're going to be a failure. It just means that we have to stretch the timeline a little bit. So things of that nature that we just try to discuss as contingencies or what have yous that might occur during the process that you're not control in control of. And that's okay because if if it takes you twelve weeks to get what you want, are you going to be unsatisfied with it? Yep, no, that's right. A, that's a found that's a foundational principle that's really important. And I think where you're starting from makes a difference as well, right? Because I think when you look at a lot of the weight loss programs that are, that are out there that you're reading, you know, if you take an individual that needs to lose ten pounds and they're starting hundred pounds overweight, probably a lot easier to do in a, in a quick fashion, and probably a lot safer to do in a quick fashion. You take somebody that is a few pounds overweight that is trying to lose, you know, that, that same amount, it's, it's not going to work. So I think individuals don't necessarily set themselves up for success because they're kind of trying to compare apples to oranges in some of those equations. Yeah, without a doubt. And, um, I, I think part of the reason why people get so discouraged is that they, they, they lacked kind of the basic understanding of how their body's going to respond to these things. Um, and they think, you know, in the first week, if they lose two pounds and the second week, they lose only one pound that they're not on track. 
you know, so giving them reference, giving them context of what's actually occurring and backfilling like what their subjective, uh, you know, perspective is, is really important for us to guide them through the process and not be so myopic in, in, in all honesty. Yeah. And I think there's an important, I, I chose weight loss cause it's, it's probably like my, like, I'm not going to speak for you, but one of my least favorite to talk about, because for me, the next question is, okay, to, to what end? Like, why are we trying to do this? Do you, are you unhappy with your rate because you feel that physiologically it's setting you up for failure? Do you have some metabolic dysfunction? Are your blood panels off? Things of that nature. Is it because you want to look good in a bikini? Nothing wrong with that, but you know, maybe Perfect. different, right? So I think trying to frame it around what the client really values and it's important, but then delayering that and getting to, okay, ultimately my goal is always to help people live better, longer, and, and perform better. Um, and in that context, I do want to help them accomplish their goal, but we kind of want to get to the meat of it and say, okay, why, what, what other individuals may I need to pull in there? Is there body image issues that I may need to pull in kind of a, a mental performance individual along that? Or is it, Hey, this is, this is actually a realistic goal because there is a lot of ground to be gained here. And if we're looking at lean body mass, this person, you know, can get there. So I think just the why behind the goal is always important. And there's obviously nuance to that, which you, you have tons of experience with as well. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great point. Like when you start asking people a little bit deeper questions, you know, getting to the root of why they want to do something you're obviously going to have to talk about motivation at some point. Um, and uh, you know, not to, you know, I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you a, a loose summary of a person that I met with who wanted to lose weight. And I asked him why, uh, and I kind of pursued it because it didn't seem like he was being you know, truthful to a, a, a certain degree. And then it came out that his, his dad at roughly the same age died of a heart attack. And I think that is a way better motivator to be wanting to be around for your kids by losing weight right. rather than just the, the goal of having weight loss in the picture, you know? So like, we're not even saying that the goal was bad, but the motivation behind that is probably going to carry you through the process at least give you a, a fighting chance of getting to that point where you feel fulfilled with your goal and not let the number decide what your success is. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I think it, that client interview in that first setting is, is the most important. So goals, motivation behind the goals, what makes them tick, whether it be being around for their children, grandchildren, it could be something that is is maybe not as viewed as as, as worldly or as important. It could be, you know, I, I want to lose weight and here's why. And that's okay. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but that motivation is really important. And then getting to kind of that next step of the, the evaluation process. So what do you do? Like, what are the big pillars for you in, in terms of what you're trying to look at and accomplish? So say my goal in this, we'll keep it the same example. My goal may be weight loss, right? So I may want to get yeah. lean, you know, fat-free mass, you know, uh, da lean body mass increased, um, fat-free mass. That's my, that's kind of my focus, but I also have a cardiovascular system. I also have a neurological system. I also want to move better. I also want to not get okay. injured. Right. And I may not be saying that to you, but that's what you're thinking probably as the professional, how do you tie those other features that may not be perceived as the most, the, the most level of importance and kind of program that appropriately? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, if we're going to stick with kind of the, the weight loss uh, context, like, so there, there are certain levers that I want to pull, like that I want to pull as a professional, but obviously it's going to be hard for me to pull them unless they're on board with some level of understanding of why we're doing what. So yeah, do I want their movement competency to get better uh, while we achieve greater movement capacity? Sure. But that person probably just wants to walk on the treadmill to get, you know, their, their neat levels up which is kind of checks both boxes depending on where they're starting from. Right. Um, so I think a, a better way of me getting them to realize what is good for them is talking about little victories. So like, if you have a weight loss goal 
and training is, is let's say non-existent right now. So can we agree that working out three times a week, whatever the, the, the training actually looks like, it could be resistance training, it could be cardiovascular, it could be a group session, it could be yoga, whatever. We know three times a week is better than what you're doing now. And we can at least check the exercise activity thermogenesis box, right? And if they agree to that, cool, then we're going to commit to those three times a week. If we're talking about the nutrition component, the calories in, we're going to have to agree that maybe not drinking uh, regular soda is a good thing. You know, so can we minimize soda? Can we just substitute soda for diet soda or club soda or something that's non-calorie to get rid of excess calories? You know what I mean? And if they can agree to that, then we have these leading indicators that are all going to drive the endpoint and get the goal goalposts closer to us. So I think just some some uh, perspective shift and breaking down these big goals by little victories along the way that we're doing on a daily or weekly level that we know are going to get them to where they want to be roughly in the timeline that they, they have agreed to. From a, from a strength standpoint, um, and you have, you know, I'm assuming still on your role, your make monsters kind of mantra, right? So you have those yeah. individuals and I see your Instagram and I see, you know, Hamden Hall linebackers or whatever it may be that, you know, going on doing great things and lifting a lot of weights for the, our, our population, maybe some of that, but I'd say the majority of our population, and it could be yours as well, some gen pop individuals that they don't know where to start from a strength standpoint. Maybe they built out a home gym. Maybe they need to see someone like you and, and see a professional. What are some general strength indicators in terms of what, if someone's saying, Hey, I want to get stronger. I don't really know what that means. And I don't really know where to start. I think what's, what's, I guess the good question is what metrics are you looking at and what's kind of a safe starting point for people? Yeah, that's a, I mean, it's, it's got to funnel into what, like the the outcome measure that we agreed upon. So I think, I think we can all agree that uh, if you can build some skeletal muscle mass um, you're going to have a better or longer health span, right? So at some point in your life, you're going to be thinking about how level is your health span with your lifespan or how, how far does it run parallel? Right? So I think any improvements in strength measures, and that could be your five rep max or 10 rep max, whatever it may be. If you are progressively overloading someone and they are responding with more muscle mass, more neurological efficiency, so on and so forth, like they have changed something about them. That is an improvement, right? Which then might show up into some, objective measures. Uh, but it's always an N equals one with me, right? Cause you might have someone that's never touched a weight. They're 55. They have, uh, osteoporosis in their family. So maybe the best measure is just getting them to strength train so that they can fend off osteoporosis. Right. So that's how I kind of reconcile these things. Uh, and obviously this is all warranted from, you know, the authentic dialogue that we can have with our clients. Yeah. Uh, I think you used a vital word there in terms of, of health span. So when we talk about that gen population. You want to generally live longer, there's lifespan, and be healthier throughout that life, which is which is health span. And there is some really good metrics that came out, and it's mostly correlatory data, but you know, grip strength just as an indicator of general health in individuals with normative data that's higher than their age and their peers uh, and their gender can live longer. And individuals that are below, they have a higher risk of cardiovascular mortality and morbidity. This is stuff that now is published in New York Times and patients actually bring it in and say, oh, I didn't, didn't really know that. And I've actually had people that didn't really prioritize strength as much as they maybe should have or didn't value it that said, maybe I do need to be doing it. Maybe those farmer's carriers you had me do actually do do something, right? Uh, same thing with push-ups right. as a general indicator, grip, grip strength and um, whether it be pull-ups or, or just dead hangs, right? Things like that. So I think there's stuff that's coming out where, where people are seeing that it's of importance and it's not just 
you know, biking or running on a treadmill, although that's important as well, that, you know, other indicators of cardiovascular fitness have to do with strength and just general ability to move your body through space. Um, so I think those are simple starting points for, for people that, you know, they may not know how to, if you're at a home gym and you're not going to go see myself, you're not going to go see Mike, you know, looking at just general indicators of how long can you hang from a bar? How, you know, can you do a pull up? Can, how many push ups can you do, uh, over time? How many squats can you do unweighted and to kind of start there and then ramp up. And generally speaking, if you're starting from nothing, I think you do need to see somebody and get some guidance with that, whether it be virtual in this COVID world or otherwise. But I think those are general strength indicators. Cause I always get that question. So I wanted to address it, uh, from a cardiovascular standpoint, if someone's on that train and again, we'll, we'll stick uh, with our least favorite, which is kind of that weight loss since we're kind of already on that train. So we talked about weight loss, we talked about how we kind of tie strength in cardiovascular fitness and nutrition, obviously probably two of the biggest uh, pieces of that besides lean body mass. Um, where would you settle with that? in, in that example of, of how we kind of tie that into the equation. Yeah. So I think, I think a really easy measure, um, that most people can take is just resting heart rate, you know, cause it also gives you some insight on like maybe stress management, time management, sleep quality, which are all real lifestyle things. Um, and I, I'm trying to, again, I want, I want a, a big enough lever where I can move multiple, uh, aspects of their life in the positive direction. So if we talk about resting heart rate and let's say that they, they live around 75, I know if we just dose in some maybe cardiac output stuff or, you know, longer duration walks outside when the weather permits, then when we get that down 10, 15 beats, that person's life is probably way different from a, 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 at least a sensory uh, standpoint, right? So getting people to de-stress through exercise and making exercise more therapeutic than punitive, I, I think that that box is checked with cardiovascular fitness, making it a little bit more variable, making it a little bit more optional in terms of like what they should be doing so that they can dose in some fun and things that they probably are already doing that don't even know checks that box is really important for me. That's huge. I mean, dosing in fun and changing the negative mindset around cardio for a lot of individuals. Like for me, coming from an athletic background, cardio equals I was late to practice. I did something wrong yeah. in the game, right? So there's those punitive things, even people coming from the athletic uh, population. And then from the outside, like it's just looking at a treadmill, looking at a bike, it's, it's probably antithetical to anything that they want to do, but viewing it as just, Hey, cardiac output and just movement and getting outside with yeah. nature and there's stress management associated with that could be in the summer paddleboarding. It could be things. That, and then all the data that comes out to support, like, Hey, that's really important being in that zone one, that zone two, it doesn't need to be that you're crushing yourself all the time. It doesn't need to be, I think we've kind of settled from, yeah, hits important, maybe one, two days a week, but it doesn't need to be all the time. It kind of went through that trend. So I think that's important for people to hear and just general movement. And I think that's one of the things, whether it be, you know, wearables, et cetera, that really brought it together of initially when it came out, I was like, I don't know how much is a pedometer really telling you, but for a lot of individuals, that's really important. Just how much are you moving throughout the day and how much totally. is your heart rate getting up over a certain level, maybe not anywhere near max, but getting up and getting some cardiac output just through your daily life. And it's not viewed as exercise. It's fun. It's with your kids. And that's important. And it kind of leads to that healthy lifestyle. The other thing you touched on is kind of recovery. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't kind of talk about this. Um, you know, again, we're in the age of technology, very important, very enhancing, um, you know, elite levels. You may be looking at Omega wave, you know, our level, my level, where we're looking at Apple watch, uh, or ring whoop strap, uh, and I think some people can get analysis paralysis around that. So what are your clients coming in with and how do you kind of help them navigate through that? From like a, a tech perspective or yeah, just, just from uh, a tech perspective of, you know, if they're not looking at it, do you recommend they should? And if they are looking at it, you know, but a lot of people navigate without a compass. Like I have all this data yeah. and it's great. I have no idea what to do with it. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. So, I mean, obviously I, if someone has had some exposure to it and want to use it, 
Um, I ha- they have to give me like the explicit permission for me to to use that as part of the decision matrix. If someone if someone does gets four hours of, of sleep a night, drinks ten cups of coffee, I don't I know what their omega wave is going to say. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I try to go with the fundamentals of like, what if we just drank more water and got seven hours of sleep to start? You know what I mean? And then again, if you wanted to add a metric, spend twelve dollars on uh, a finger. A heart rate monitor on Amazon and see what the trends look like. And I think most, anytime that you have a number or some kind of metric that you're trying to use, it has to have a causal relationship with like the behavior that you're trying to influence. Otherwise it's just, it's just numbers. Yeah. I mean, think about like how the prevalence of, of like when someone steps on a scale and it's up two pounds and then now they're depressed. Like there's no context, there's no understanding of what occurred or maybe what a daily fluctuation should look like. By the way, it's usually three to 4% for an adult, you know, like, so two pounds is nothing, but it could be the world of difference in terms of how we psychologically address or approach a problem. Yeah, I think it's, that's kind of, I think we went from no data to 110 miles an hour with data. And there are those individuals and we see them quite frequently that don't know what to do with the data. They get frustrated and don't, don't have an ability to contextualize it. So the good thing about a lot of the wearables, and I know I have one on my finger now, but just, you know, in terms of just the trends, and I think trends are way more important than single data sets, right? So if you're starting with some of this tech, like just giving yourself a month just to wear it, don't really even look at it. I tell my patients, like, this is like, this is the early stages of your 401k, like just invest and just leave it alone, right? Just do some of your data. I'll look at it from afar. We won't even really talk about it. And let's hit on the tangible things that you can change. You, you, not your sleep hygiene is terrible, but if your sleep hygiene is going to be even worse if you have anxiety going to bed every day because you're looking at this screen that tells you, hey, you're, you had a, a poor score. So let's track yeah. it. It is important, but don't change the tangible things in your life that you can change. That's, that's the real low-hanging fruit. Pull from those first. Um, and I think knowing that there's reasons why numbers may be poor and that's okay and it doesn't mean you can't do anything and it just doesn't mean you're not recovering. It just means, hey, we did a heavy squat day yesterday. Your numbers are probably going to be poor and we're going to recover a little bit this way and it's going to be active recovery. And there's going to be days like, hey, you probably don't even want to look at it because you know you drank way too much yesterday. Yeah. You can see it's important that you know that that's what it does to your body, but you know, fundamentally we know we're going to change some things today. So I think I'm a big supporter of it, but I think I just want to, I try to always get like a public service announcement in terms of, how to utilize it and kind of working with a professional around, you know, how to synthesize the data. And for me, heart rate variability, if you're going to look at one metric, is probably one of the ones that, you know, you can do very cheaply. Heart rate recovery, like you mentioned, resting heart rate being the other one where if you have either uh, a pulse ox, you have something from a wearable standpoint, you just get a chest strap for, you know, 50 to $70. It gives you a lot of data and you don't have to go high tech with it. So I think Knowing where to start is important, but not overanalyzing it. And, you know, the, the recovery trend, I'm a strong believer in that. It's one of our four pillars on our website. But I think there's a lot of nuance to it. So, you know, working with somebody that can kind of understand some of those nuances is important. All right. So try not to get lost here. So we talked about everything for cardio. So cardiovascular fitness, I just want to touch on something. So we talked about general cardiac output. What's your ideal situation? So say I'm, I'm, the, I'm the other individual. I'm super motivated. Generally, cardiac output's Okay. Um, do you look, you know, is there value in something like a VO2 max? Is there value in lactate threshold? Is there like, what else are we going to look at for that more high, highly motivated and maybe more analytical individual that wants some of that? Is there, is there value in that? And what kind of metrics would you look at there? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the value has to come from the end user. 
you know, obviously like we can geek out on this stuff and talk about, you know, heart rate variability and, you know, cortisol secretion and all that stuff. But like it, it probably won't influence their behavior because we're we're kind of speaking over them. Now, if, if someone has a history or had some familiarity with these things, I think any amount of external justification or reinforcement could be good. Um, but like I don't think any one number is going to tell you everything and you should not place uh you know too much external justification on any one number right so i i mean listen i i in an ideal world i would run everyone through a million tests and then you know show them how smart i am but that's probably not really efficient or effective for everyone so i think it's it's like it's about coaching and picking your bullets and making sure that the ones that you use really are difference makers so no, I think that's an, the most appropriate answer because we can geek out and we prove that uh, over a lot of different things. And it, it, when you find and you talk to clients about it, sometimes you're looking at you with blank stares like they don't they don't care. They don't yeah. care anywhere near as much as I care. They want to go back to those first things that we talked about is I want to be there for my kid when I, he's 20 years old and see him graduate college and do all the things I want to do. And I want to be there for my grandkids. And that's what matters more. How you get me there, I don't necessarily need to hear you geek out as much. Just give me give me meaningful goals to hit. And let's work together on that. And that's what's most important. So I think that's the the secret to accountability is everything that we've talked about in those earlier stages, less about some of the techie geeky stuff that that's important. Um, I, I think that hits on a really important point of accountability is I think people confuse it with like education um, rather than guidance. So I, I had this rule that like, I don't, I don't go beyond what I like my, whatever my statement is or whatever I'm trying to talk about. And from a subject matter standpoint, I don't go further unless they explicitly ask me for more information. Otherwise I'm just probably going to barrage them and beat a dead horse and then maybe confuse them and then not get them to act with some level of certainty on the thing that really matters most is their behavior. Right. So I try to be very judicious with what I tell them unless they want to know more. Like most people, most of my clients just want to know the what and the how, because yep. that gets them to do something. If I go into the why they could, they, they might just get bored of hearing me talk and then become numb to me anyways. Right. So just being very selective with like how you're rolling out information. And it should be more from a guidance standpoint than education standpoint, I think is really important. That's a, that's a great point. And I think that, and then every other mistake I made probably early in my career was matter they not focusing on what matters to them as much as what mattered to me and that's where you get really geeky and say like hey no i want to hit these metrics and this is we're going to get go after your three rep max and this is what's going to be most important and not listening to the client that really doesn't care about those things that they just want to hit what they want to hit which is yeah there's infinite ways to get them there and you'd be a little bit less dogmatic and i think everyone wins uh in that equation yeah. What, what from a fitness trend standpoint, it doesn't have to be a trend. It could be there for years. Like what still excites you or, or anything that's new that continues to excite you, um, within this space. Within fitness, within yeah, health, fitness, anything that's new and exciting or anything that you're like, Hey, it's really good to see that this tried and true principle that we've been thinking about and doing for years, there's some more supporting data or anything that's just, you're still really passionate about. I mean, I think, I think the whole, you know, since the onset of the pandemic, it's just been really interesting to see trends. You know, like how people are gravitating or they started to gravitate towards more at home options. Um, I think that was on the horizon anyways. And I think just the pandemic expedited that. Uh, but to see that there's there's actually really good options if people don't feel like 
they want to go back to a gym. Uh, and again, l- listen, I'm a gym owner. I'd love people to, right. to, to want to come back, but I care more about them feeling certain with their future, with the option that they have. So if that means it's mirror or tonal or Peloton or whatever, I'm just glad that there's some market push to providing better options because three years ago, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Like if you were working out at home, you're probably like, either using DVDs or streaming something and you're, you're using soup cans. Now it's pretty advanced where people can at least, you know, now that they've adopted a new lifestyle, a new environment, they can start to assimilate these options into the life that now has come out of the pandemic. So, um, and again, like not to be territorial, but I, would I like more people to want to come back to the gym space a hundred percent, but I care more about the overarching level of health and fitness in our country. So, yeah, no, I agree. I think that's great. And I think there's great options out there. I think there's, you know, some platforms do a really good job of the sense of community. Look at what made Peloton successful. It's the more the community feel that's created. Some of the instructors have, you know, millions of Instagram followers and et cetera. But I do miss, you know, if miss that community feel around the gym space. And I don't think you're ever really going to get that at home. Um, so I think that that's, that's once things lighten up, that that is one thing that I would love to see gyms continue to th- those that are continuing to do well, survive and thrive uh, and continue to get back to, because I think the, it's, it's the pendulum has shifted towards a lot more at home, which is great and a lot more overall health and wellness. And I think when it shifts back to say like, Hey, I, I can do that three days a week and that's going to be more sustainable, but I'm still going to go see Mike one day a week. Cause I need someone to tell me what the hell I really need to be doing at home. Uh, and I think that's maybe probably the best medium to get more volume overall. Maybe that one client may not come seven days a week anymore, but can you yeah. get 10 clients to come one or two days a week? And is that more enhancing and more sustainable for longevity in this space to say like, this is going to be a lifelong journey for me in health and wellness. And I'm not going to going back to this accountability topic. I'm not going to fail by mid February, like that statistic that we, that we said earlier. Yeah. I think that's also an important point to bring up is that like, there's been options to work out at home forever. Like literally, like even when I was a kid, you know, there's a VHS of like, you know, sweating to the oldies around. Right. So it's not like it's a new thing. There are more options, but again, I'd much rather have a returning client that has stayed in some physical and mental well-being for the last six months than dealing with maybe a train wreck coming back and looking to, you know, make all these wholesale changes at once. And then we're on the hook to, to get them there. You know what I mean? So I just care about self-care. I care about people finding meaningful things to do. And to your point, if they are missing community, because there's no proper digital substitute for that, then they'll return to the gym space. Right. But I, I just, I just want people to be taking care of themselves now. And then when the time is right or, you know, however this thing plays out, like it's, it's their decision to come back because that's what they want. We'll welcome them. Yeah, absolutely. From an accountability standpoint, anything that uh, we haven't talked about that we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about anything in your you know, infinite experience that you have with clients that you said, Hey, whether it be your failures, their, their failures, or just learnings that, that we haven't touched on so far. Yeah. I mean, so, so part of accountability um, and I think accountability can be uh, somewhat of a a skewed term and uh, it's more from an end user standpoint. Like we we have to acknowledge that before accountability, I think responsibility needs to be talked about um, because we're, we're basically placing ownership on the thing. And then we have to answer to that thing. And if we don't have response, if that person doesn't have personal responsibility or skin in the game, how am I supposed to hold them accountable? How are they going to be accountable to what they want? So I think just the, the idea of taking ownership that your personal well-being and your personal health is your responsibility. And if you need to be held or helped to be held accountable, that's something that I can offer. 
but I'm not responsible for your personal health. You, that's why it's yours, right. you know? So and I think people try to obviate their personal responsibility by hiring a trainer or uh, hiring a, a finance guy because they can't manage their, their finances. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think the acknowledgement that it's their responsibility and then we can help with the accountability pieces is, is just something that needs to come out in the wash. Yep. Uh, that's huge. And I think getting that out and about early on in this process and just having that meaningful conversation early to say, okay, what have you, where I like to start is what have you tried before? Like, what have you done before? Yeah. Run me through what that is. And through there, that's what comes out through the wash of like, yeah, I've had five trainers. Like, okay, that's kind of a yellow flag, right? I'm assuming four of the five were probably great. Maybe one was crappy, right? Just based on the, on the, on the data there. But what, what happened? And not necessarily blaming, but having that meaningful conversation and, and clients are aware of it. And it's like, yeah, it's more me, you know, it's different facets. It's where I was in life and, and kind of talking through that. That's where most of these succeed. And the other parts just kind of taking all this home is setting meaningful goals and meaningful timeframes and saying, Hey, if this doesn't get hit, where would you be happy? That's one of the biggest things I, I heard you hear say that I love that I don't do enough of, which is saying, okay, if if it's five pounds, if we lost two pounds, would you be happy, right? If, hey, we want to get this, for me, if you want to get this rotator cuff better, you know, to get back in for this tournament, right? If we don't get there, but you can get to competitive practice and you have a path to get you to that combine that's really important in the summer, would you be would you be happy? Maybe not infinitely happy, but would you be happy, right? right? And, and kind of... If this, then this situations, because I think the the dichotomization of like success or failure in this space is is really poor because it really demoralizes people and it demotivates people and then they kind of give it up. Um, yeah. And in other facets of life, that may not be the case, but I think you know this all or nothing mentality hopefully is shifting. And you know, with professionals like you out there, I think it's going to continue to do so. So I really appreciate your time. We can go on and on. And Natalia is telling me not to geek out, and I can. She's writing some notes down right now. So we'll we'll stop talking. Um, Really appreciate you having on. I want to give you the opportunity to kind of shout out all your platforms and where people can find you and, you know, full transparency. I want people to go see you in, in Hamden. Uh, I love the at-home space. I have kind of a home gym built out now as well in my garage. It's a dungeon with a squat rack. It's great. But I also, I, I love going to places like yours and it's, it's just infinitely motivating and you get a level of expertise and professionalism that you're not going to get elsewhere. So please give us your platforms, your socials, everything, my man. Yeah. Well, first of all, I appreciate the time today. Uh, I, uh, hopefully I can deliver it on or delivered on some value for your, your listeners. Um, and if you want to know more about what we do and what I do, um, so my brick and mortar is, is Ranphone training systems that can be found on Instagram, Facebook. Um, my kind of my remote training business, uh, you can follow Michael Ranphone on uh, Facebook and Instagram. And that's really the, the way that we've been able to scale uh, digitally one-on-one -on -one training, which also has a medical concierge service where we do blood work. We have a PhD blood analyst, uh, an MD on staff uh, to help with anything that's out of, out of our scope of practice. But uh, we're pretty, we're pretty good at putting out content and being in, in real time. So uh, that's how most of my current clients have found me uh, through our social media cha channels. I try to answer every DM that comes by way of my inbox. Uh, even the spam ones, I have fun with those, but, uh, yeah. So if you have a question or you want to ask me something, feel free to, uh, to go ahead and correspond. I, I appreciate it, Mike. Every time I'm, uh, in your space, either virtually in, in this context or there, I, I do learn something. So I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Always a pleasure, man. And, uh, if, if I can be of any service in the future, just let me know. All right. Appreciate it. All right, thank you for joining us for another episode of Optimal Health Uncovered. If, As always, uh, if you like us, drop us a review, hopefully a positive one. If you have any uh, questions or you want to hear something specifically talked about, please drop us a line at podcast at performanceoptimalhealth.com.